0: Hey, WiseCast listener, we know that you care about inclusion and equity or you wouldn't be here listening to us. Richa and I find continuous motivation through our conversations on WiseCast.
1: Inclusion and equity for women in the life sciences is a challenge that is impacting outcomes for innovation and productivity. Do you want to make an impact in the STEM community as well? We are partnering with WIB as change makers in the STEM community. Women in Bio, or WIB, is fueled by volunteer leaders from across North America geared towards leveling the playing field through programming, education, and career advancement at all career levels.
0: For the past 20 years, WIB has developed leaders from the classroom to the boardroom and has created a network of support, sponsorship, and representation that is inclusive and life-changing.
1: You can join a community and build a network through 14 chapters in the Life sciences and biotech hubs across North America.
0: Podcast listeners can apply the code WIBWISE20 and receive $20 off a one-year WIB membership until June 1st, 2022. Find out how you
1: can become involved at womeninbio.org and join WIB today. For by Wisecast,
0: the podcast for women in STEM and education, I am Dr. Amber Miller. And I am Dr. Richa Chandra. In today's episode, we are talking about tentative language, how we do it, why we do it, and how to overcome it. Before we unapologetically dive into that, Amber, how did you dress for success today? Well, since I knew we were gonna talk about tentative language,
1: I wanted to project as much confidence as I could. So I'm wearing this black tunic top with an exposed zipper in the back. So I feel like gives a little extra edge and boost and red. And I mean, red, like candy, apple, red leggings um, that are a little bit of nice leggings. So they're not just like your standard workout leggings. Um, and since I felt like what doesn't project confidence like black and red? Um, I left my hair down. So it's a little bit edgier. I feel like if you saw me on the street, you'd be like, that lady is projecting and exuding confidence from all her pores.
0: But what about you, Richa? I'm not going to mess with you because I feel like mush compared to the way, you, the way you described yourself I went with a more tentative expression if you will of clothing so I walked into my closet today and the clothing cognition thing was you know was playing a role there and I I thought of what is the most tentative soft, forgiving um, type of clothing I could wear. And it's my, I wear these oversized black leggings. I don't even know. It's so unflattering, but they're just so comfortable. I can, you know, eat whatever I feel like right? in these. And then I have this like really soft, um, flowy uh, H&M shirt. And I just think that they have really good quality fabric that's, that's comfortable and soft. So I don't know and that that kind of channels into what we're talking about here today because we come from it you know with a perspective that it's okay sometimes to be feminine and we've been talking a lot about that in recent episodes about maybe we shouldn't be you know just kind of making everything masculine be the best right if we're going to make changes in society however we also have to confront that we don't live in that type of world and I think that our guest does a great job of pointing that out to us.
1: So today we are joined by Robin Toft, and she is the global sciences and boardroom diversity leader of ZRG Partners, LLC, where she combines a deep inside knowledge of the life science industry with a passion for building game-changing management teams. Robin has placed hundreds of executives from VP through CEO at board-level, innovative-led companies in the life sciences. A champion of diverse executive teams, Robin has built a reputation for recruiting women and underrepresented candidates into top roles and overcoming unconscious bias in hiring. Prior to funding Toft Group Executive Search in 2010, Robin served 20 plus years as a biotech executive, including, and we're just going to name a few, Senior Vice President of Global Commercial Operations at Roche, Vice President of Virology at Roche, and Executive Vice President of Marketing and Sales at Virologic Inc., which is now Monogram Biosciences, a San Francisco startup where she was instrumental in the company's first product launches
0: and IPO. Having successfully sold Talked Group to ZRG Partners in 2019, Robin co-founded We Can Rise Incorporated in 2020, committed to inspiring high potential career women to confidently reach their potential and working collaboratively with men to build healthier companies that change the world. Robin's first book entitled We Can, the executive woman's guide to career advancement is recognized within the list of 100 best CEO books of all time by Book Authority. WeCAN provides the confidence, language, tools, and practical advice for women to design and realize the career of their dreams. Both WeCAN and Robin's new book, Ignite Your Board Career, Board IQ Playbook, co authored with we Can Rise co founder Ron Giannotti, are available on Amazon.
1: We Can won gold for best ebook in the International Business Awards. In the American Business Awards for 2020, Robin won gold in three major individual categories of lifetime achievement, Maverick of the Year and Woman of the Year. She also won gold for Most Innovative Woman of the Year in the Women in Business Awards for 2020. Robin has been a finalist in Ernst Young's prestigious Entrepreneur of the Year Awards in both 2018 and 2019. And if you weren't impressed yet, you soon will be. Welcome, Robin.
0: Thank you so much,
2: Amber. It's really great to be here.
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Robin. We're gonna start off today by setting the stage. We're gonna go through some definitions and types of tentative language. That's our our main topic today. Um, The research on this is actually from the 70s and based on a meta-analysis by Lepner and Robnett from Psychology of Women Quarterly. And all of our references that we're discussing today are linked in the episode notes below.
1: So first, we're gonna give a few examples and describe these different types of tentative language. First up, we have expressions of uncertainty and tea, which occur when speakers use disclaimers. For example, I'm not sure if this is right, but I think the meeting is tomorrow. The second is qualifiers. So for example, Jim's performance in the course was somewhat disappointing. So somewhat is the qualifier rather than just saying it was disappointing. Hedges include prefatory remarks such as I guess or modifiers such as kind of. So I guess the presentation was kind of short. So it has been suggested that women might use hedges to downplay their authority. And then we have tag questions, which seek confirmation of an immediately preceding declarative sentence. For example, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? So this is proposed, we use these tag questions, right? To kind of downplay our assertiveness when making a statement. I also think we might use them to
0: try and include the other person in our conversation a little bit. one of my favorites, apparently, (laughs) is intensifiers. So I went through my emails and I've been thinking and reflecting on what I'm using. Um, And so I use these adverbs, adjectives such as very, so, um, and which doesn't add a lot of content to your statement. Um, Super, super is one of mine. And it wasn't even one of the examples. I'm super excited about this. This is super resonating with me, Um, just to sound a little bit friendlier and more approachable. But I don't think that you're probably as guilty. Probably there we go. There's one more <laughs> as as guilty of this as we might be, Robin. So, do you have examples of where you might use tentative language, or examples you've heard?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I love that you uh, referred to doing email because that's exactly where it shows up. Um, you know, I know we all carefully craft emails, and I do use a number of statements kind of um, consistently. So kind of being one of the, the uh, softeners that we just uh, spoke about. So one of the things that I say is I start with, I'm not really sure what you're looking for, however, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> or I say, I'm just checking in to determine whether you've made a decision, you know, as to not be so much, have you made a decision?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, also, I'd love to help you on this assignment if it makes sense, you know, like just kind of,
0: yeah.
2: you know, releasing them in case it doesn't. And I'm thinking we should move forward. Um, however, I'm open-minded about your position on things. So, you know, I think that absolutely, uh, if you're trying to write a very strong communication, you know, I'm in a client services business. We do executive search for a living and work with CEOs. We're trying to be soft enough because I am the service provider. Um, but many times I need to be strong So when I need to be strong, sometimes I'll write the email and then look at it the next morning. And oftentimes I see those showing up and I remove them because I'm really trying to make a direct communication typically to a male CEO, which is 95% of our CEOs after this 25 years of work that we've done to elevate ourselves. Um, And so, you know, it's very critical that you do that. I also do what you do, and put in so a lot. I am so excited. Right And uh, at certain times, I think that works, but at other times, it's really gonna soften your position.
1: I think I, I laugh at myself a lot for how long it can take me to write an email when I write I just type it out and then I either go back and add in things because I've just started with the business and I'll be like, well, i I'd use I'm just checking in or I hope you're having a good day, you know, I use some of those soft fillers. But it depends, right, who you're writing and what message. It's trying to be, I'm showing that I have authority and I'm knowledgeable about this topic, but I'm a team player and I'm a nice person that you want to work with, right? And so it's trying to balance all of those things while removing some of these filler words that, that don't make sense. And I think even now the grammar checks, right, are getting even more, um, can be helpful to an extent where they're trying to get you to be more direct with your language. And I was like, okay. So I edited just recently, I edited a sentence because I had some, like, apparently, well, basically because of this, right? So it took a bunch of things out. And the sentence ended up being, I feel like this. But I feel like this, and it was like the complete opposite. So I was, this doesn't make any sense. And I clearly need to rewrite this in a way that is productive and actually gives some insight into to where we're coming from. So I think those emails are, can be super challenging.
2: I think it's really important to realize that most of our communications these days are electronic. So getting very good at doing concise yet friendly communications is a really key skill set for executives.
0: It's interesting you have to balance that being in that service provider kind of role and, and i think about i have to be very authoritative as a professor um you know with with students because you know they they can push boundaries otherwise but we get evaluated on, you know, as women, are we friendly? Are we approachable? So that balance is is difficult um, in writing and even, you know, in person.
1: Another way to think about tentative language is to consider it as affiliative as opposed to assertive. So research from the meta-analysis shows that women use more affiliative or tentative language and less assertive language than men. And this may be decreasing historically, but in your experience, what impact does this have on a woman's authority or influence?
2: I think it really lessens their authority and influence when they're uh, being affiliative, honestly. Um, You know, it's very critical that uh, when you express yourself as a woman that you're very confident about your accomplishments. That's the one thing I speak about a lot, uh, creating value and asking for opportunity and being very factual when you do that. So you know, preparing the conversation and not using, not um, backing off of the uh, direct communication. Men really value direct communication, and one of the things I see a lot interviewing a lot of female candidates is they tend to talk in circles and be very elaborate about the communication instead of drilling down on what is the point and how do I say it in a way that is direct, considerate and thoughtful. So, you know, practicing in advance is important, I believe.
0: So it's important to find language that's not tentative, but still you care.
2: You have to care. I mean, this is a really important dialogue typically that you're having um, at work all the time, right? So finding the right tone is important. You know, when we're in um, spoken communications, like practicing what you're going to say, I often speak aloud to myself, <clears throat> practice in my car or on a walk in nature to see how it really sounds. And you'd be surprised, um, you know, it could sound too tentative. It could sound too direct. Um, practice it on your spouse or your friends. Um, these are really important conversations. I don't minimize the word choices. I've been in sales my whole life. <clears throat> Top of the chart, sales gal, wherever I've worked. And it's really important, the words that you choose.
0: That's difficult because I I think that you can rehearse in a way for a presentation, a speech, a podcast, even we can rehearse, we can have notes, but how do we handle it in just your regular dialogue and your regular conversations? You said you can practice with your spouse, but you know, when I talk to my spouse, it's a different dynamic. We're not, you know, in this power struggle or even if it's not a power struggle, I'm not trying to sell him anything. Right. So it's, how, how do we do it in our regular daily interactions?
2: You know, one of the things that I've learned, and I'm much further along my career path than many of the people who are listening today, but is to just learn how to channel your, I like to call it your higher self in in any conversation, like just be the light in the room and really try to tap into you know, the power that is you as a person and as an executive contributor to, you know, wherever you work. And um, in order to do that, you know, you have to believe that you can bring that person to this conversation. And so, you know, again, rehearsing is one thing, but actually showing up with this spirit of uh, brightness and, you know, that it just makes simply makes sense. So not um, feeling minimized by the conversation at hand um, is really, really important. So word choice is one thing, but actually the spirit which you bring to the conversation is the other half.
0: I like that Ch- channeling your higher self. Uh, I have been accused in the kitchen of using my professor voice. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> that's what that's I not am. Your higher self. <laughs> right.
0: Right? That's my you. husband's like, do not use that professor voice. In <laughs> <kitchen."> Correct.
2: <laughs> right. Correct. I like, just just bring joy to every communication you're mm-hmm. having, and that sounds um, it sounds very difficult to do. But I've actually learned that that's the, probably the most important thing is showing up with a really positive. Um, attitude towards the conversation you're going to have.
0: So then do you change channels in a way at all? I know you're bringing the joy, you're bringing that higher self. Do you speak differently with men versus women, um, different contexts, whether you're with with superior subordinates, socially, professionally?
2: Yes, I would say absolutely. So um, if you're speaking to a superior, you need to really turn on the executive polish and the executive presence, and you need to choose words that are direct. I mean, really direct, Um, kind, but direct. (laughs) And so, you know, not a lot of the uh, flowery stuff around the edges. You really have to uh, go straight to the point. And I can't say this enough. Yesterday, I was interviewing an exceptional person on paper. I mean, it was like a 10-page resume of every award that's ever been won. And she was a clinician, uh, MD, PhD, MBA, you know, all of this. And I said to her, you know, can you, you know, I I have a really long history of, you know, of your story. Can you just give me the three to five minute concise story of you? She said, oh, yes, I'll give you the cliff notes. And then it went on for 20 minutes. So never be the person that does that, right? Like be the person who learns to speak directly about yourself, about your accomplishments and about what you're trying to communicate in any given conversation. So extra words do not work when you're speaking up to um to subordinate people that work for you, a lot of times you have to be a little more thoughtful and um, kind of couch your remarks further so that it's not as um, as difficult for them to hear it. So I'm really favorable towards um, understanding how they're feeling and how they're receiving uh, the information that you're trying to convey. And, you know, they are nowhere near as far along their career progression as you are. So being very careful, I would use a lot more of the um, affiliative language with people that are subordinate to me. Um, Social events. um, I'm very much myself and I can be very assertive and confident and people expect that of me. So I kind of show up that way. Um, It's my social self. And at a professional event, it just can be very tempered by who's in the audience, you know, like who is who's standing with me in a networking forum. Are they, you know, people that are superior to me that I'm really trying to win over? Or um, you know, is it a, a boardroom setting where I'm actually talking to a whole group of people? Um, usually you're in back in your professional self, you know, the one that's really carefully choosing words and being direct in communications.
1: And I love all of this. And it's true. I mean, I think. It's easy to, to see when you're in a specific contents how you should potentially change your language and use different words or being more direct i think with your superior they value not that they value their time any more than anybody else but it's harder to get their time and so i think that being direct really kind of ties into that they don't have time for the fluff and the the other extra stuff and so being able to come in with a concise question or just presentation so that you can really best utilize their time leads to better right can lead to better interactions if you're in that type of setting right but you may have conversations with your boss where you're not, you're just brainstorming and idea thinking and doing these things. And it's a little bit you know, different. Yeah, about- I
2: mean, if it were me, and I give this advice a lot, um, whether it's a man or a woman who is your superior, it doesn't matter. You need to come with a really concise um, communication that you're going to do. And if, you, if it's about a challenge that you're having, register the challenge, register the three potential solutions, and then tell them which one you recommend. And that is, um, you know, that is strategic consultant thinking, but that's how they want you to approach every challenge that you have. So, you know, if you don't show up prepared to have a direct conversation about the matter at hand, um, to your point, Amber, they don't have a lot of time. <laughs> you know? So so you can get really um, misunderstood by your employer in general. They might feel like you're an indirect communicator, which is the number one Um, offense that women um, commit in the boardroom setting. Uh, And that, yes, indirect communications is, it's never okay, actually, at executive level.
0: That's a great soundbite, by the way. <laughs> so it's the elevator pitch that you're, you're yeah. talking about. And I have the students practice this all the time. Like, Let's go down, literally, let's go down the elevator and you explain your your project to me. If you can't sell it to me, and I actually understand that, you know, how are you ever going to speak to anyone else about it?
2: Yes. And, and another uh, thing that I'm pretty renowned for is the three reasons rule that was taught to me my very first time I was in sales. It's just if someone doesn't have three good reasons to do something, they're not going to do it. It's really what's in it for them. So really pre-thinking what's in it for them and then being able to directly communicate what's in it for them to allow them to do what you want to do is really important, whether it's your spouse, your employer, or anyone that you're working with. It'll change your life. It it made me a sales star. Um, Just think about what's in it for them and be able to communicate clearly without a lot of eating around the bush (laughs) if we don't have time.
1: And so along these lines, though, what are your thoughts about being overly polite or apologetic? Right? Does this make us less assertive, yet more affiliative? Um, I think we know that there are I don't know if it's biases or just women tend to say, I do it all the time. I say, I'm sorry. Like I'll run into someone and it's like, I have to consciously make the effort to say, excuse me, instead of I'm sorry, like that we crossed paths in a weird way. Right. Why am I sorry about this? But I think as women, we do these things more. We thank people for stuff that maybe we don't need to be thanking them for.
2: (laughs) This one, I am, I'm kind of smiling a lot when you're speaking about this because my number one thing is no apologies any woman that joins a meeting and we're on zoom meetings all day right now and shows up apologizing first of all take it away from them and just say no apologies necessary ever you know everyone you know has reason to be late in, in zoom land right but like no apologies at all i strip it out of all emails never apologize to the front end never say i'm so sorry i haven't gotten back to you sooner but and then start it just take that whole part out it's irrelevant you are directly communicating now, you know, you're here. There's no need to um, lessen your position by inserting an apology to the front end. And also, you know, whenever you say you're too busy or, you, or you're maybe you feel like you're too much, that's like saying you're not enough in, in some way. So, like, you are perfectly okay exactly as you are. As an executive in the room communicating. So don't lessen your position. I had um, a very senior uh, CEO who just sold her company private equity, showed up the other day apologizing all over herself. And I was just, I was mortified for her because, you know, here she is with her new owners, you know, board members, and she's showing up in a weakened position because she's busy. You know, I think that busy is, uh, we're all busy, right? So just own your situation and don't let, don't be ruffled and don't apologize. It's
0: okay. I want to I defend Amber a little bit here because we, she apologizes to me all the time in text and, you know, and I've told her stop apologizing to me, but I, I wonder if she's doing it because we're, we're working together. Right. And for me, it doesn't undermine her, because it's not that one of one of us is more of an authority over the other, we work collaboratively. So is, is it okay in those situations when you're working together, you're more teammates, um, your friends, even to apologize, or do you think that there should be no apologies ever?
2: I really don't believe in apologizing. I believe in doing the right thing and always showing up with a lot of um, confidence and competence. Um, I do accept others' apologies and, and um, tell them there's no need to apologize in business. I mean, we're all incredibly busy, right? So I, I feel like that's a um, it's just something women do, and it's unnecessary in a workplace. Yeah.
0: So I think I know the answer to this. As I ask you this tentatively, um, we already talked about all these things being we should just not do it, right? But is it I want to think more globally, I guess, because we've talked about the utopia in several of our episodes. That if we didn't come from this male default perspective, if we didn't live in in a world where ninety five percent of the CEOs were male, and we had more you know gender balanced thinking and ideology, what we, we are calling tentative language bad because we use this male default being you know, the superior form. So there there is critique out there about this research on tentative language and that it's substandard. We're calling it deficient because of
2: that male default. Is it really that bad? You know, I think it's okay when the person that you're talking to um, knows or doesn't know you're in a new situation. So to actually be more tentative when you explain to them, this is a new situation for me. And therefore, I'd I'd like some um, flexibility in thinking, but this is the first time I've done this. So I think it's it's okay to disclaim that. And I actually have read some research, um, I think it was done at UC Davis, where they say that men do the same when they're speaking on topics that they're less familiar with. Mm -hmm. So it's not uh, strictly a female or male thing. It has to do with how familiar you are with the subject matter at hand. So um, so for instance, if uh, women were con- um, commenting on how to repair a car, they would be very tentative about that because they don't necessarily know. And it's the first time they've had to do that. And similarly, if men were talking about, you know, making some amazing dish in the kitchen, they might be more sensitive or more um, tentative about that. So I think that that's okay, you know, and it's really subject matter dependent to express that if, if, if that is indeed the case, but again, don't, don't lessen your position if it's unnecessary. You know, if you really are competent, don't suggest that otherwise. (laughs) Right. So.
0: Kind of going back to the types of tentative language, you know, so we we, we didn't really delve so much into tag questions, right, uh, which I just did. So tag questions, the, the research also shows that, that that keeps others engaged in conversation. Is there some benefit to using that type of language in that affiliative manner?
2: I actually think that's beautiful to be able to include another person by asking them their opinion in whatever fashion you do that at the end of your statement. Why not? Um, I think that that's a natural gift of a lot of female executives because they are more inclusive and more team-based often than some of their male counterparts. So one of our greatest assets in a workplace is to really build bridges and make uh, rooms operate better because we're present and, and um, really get all voices speaking. So I actually feel that that's a strong, the tag questions actually really uh, can be useful in any circumstance. And I think we're a lot more likely to use them. And I don't think that there's any um negative aspect to that.
1: Yeah, I love this, right? So kind of what I'm hearing is that when we can do it in a way that makes others feel included in the conversation, right, that those are definitely positive things, because you're building I don't know if community is the right word, but engagement and participation, but we never want to use them in a way that lessens our authority or the perception of our authority and us being a firm, um, assertive. I always like, we we talk about that word a lot, right? Kind of sometimes makes us uncomfort- uncomfortable. It can make some women uncomfortable, but I think just living in that space a little bit more where you Know your worth and know right that your value and your level is here. And by saying these things, even though you're not meaning for them, to decrease your your level of competency, but that's how you become perceived, right? If if we start overwhelming our conversation with some of these tentative words or languages.
2: Is that kind of I'm I'm glad that you brought up the word assertive because that's so seldom used. What everybody wants to say about women is they're being aggressive and the minute anytime says anyone says the word aggressive around me i correct it to be assertive so it happens a lot with men they'll say don't you think this woman's being very aggressive and i'll say you mean assertive and i really would wish and hope that everybody on this meeting would continue to do the same thing it's a it's a very important differentiation assertive is a fine thing for women and men have been assertive all their lives that's how they're ended up in the c suite so you know we need to do that i'd like i'd like to spend just a couple minutes speaking about how men and women differ during um an executive recruitment discussion because i think it's really um related so when we call a woman about a, a job i'm sure a lot of you have heard the research that they will not even um feel like they can apply unless they meet 100% of the requirements that where men will apply at 50%. That's very true. But the first thing they say when you call them, if they even take the call, is they start telling us why they're not qualified. And that is the complete reverse of what a man would do in the same circumstance. The man speaks with confidence about how he is qualified, even though he only meets 50%, and he's completely prepared to bridge whatever gap may be perceived if he knows in advance what the role is we're speaking about, he's already pre-thought, you know, any gaps in um, employment or anything like that. So this um, communication style is very direct and forward and pre-conceived. And, you know, um, it is a very effective mechanism to advance yourself in the world. Um, being tentative about your career progression, your your requirements, as to how you fit a role. And trust me, there is no perfect candidate ever for anything. We're lucky if they meet 50%, and we're really lucky if they meet 80%. So never take anything um as as you know immediate. This is what you must have. I mean, it is it is completely variable based on uh the role at hand and the person that you are. 70 to 80 percent of why someone um hires someone is that they actually like their personality. (laughs) So we call it the cultural fit that they feel that you'd really fit into this organization. And a lot of that comes through communication style, you know, that, and, and I think that's very hard for people to realize and understand that only 30% is this checklist of requirements set and 70% is the way that you're communicating. And the candidates I love the most are the ones that just show up completely organized They really understand their career progression. They understand what they want to do next. And they're really clearly communicating forward. I mean, all of those things without any tentative words or hedging or, you know, being very, very thoughtful about what they want to say and communicating well.
0: I think that's the, the big takeaway. There's, there are forms of tentative language. Never apologize. We, we should completely get away from, but balancing some of the affiliative aspects of it and being likable uh, while being concise, all of that and, and tapping into that higher self. I think that, that would be my biggest takeaway is just to channel that part because if you are confident in that space and you've been successful, you can just go there, be authentic and communicate well.
2: Yeah, I think you really have to manifest what you want to see happening in any given instance, right? You really need to um, think about it in the morning about what you'd like to have the best outcome to be. And then, you know, be in your best self when you come into that meeting and just believe that it's possible. You have to believe that the outcome that you want to see and you should know what that outcome is. Before every meeting that we have as a team with our clients, we are taught to think about what we want the outcome of the meeting to be. So, you know, similarly for yourself, whenever you're in any sort of a meeting context, to go in there knowing what you want to communicate and knowing what you would love the outcome to be. Um, And don't feel like that's imaginary or it's even um, possible that it wouldn't go in the direction that you want it to go.
1: I love that. I love that. So as we are wrapping up, I mean, I think we've all gotten so many great nuggets and our listeners are going to get take, have so many takeaways, but can you share with us how we can connect with you and share all the great things that you're doing um, and maybe along with the spheres of stuff you've been doing with Women in Bio?
2: Oh, yes. So I love Women in Bio. I've been involved with them since very many years and I uh, have taught at the Women in Boards program, Women in Bio board, Boardroom Ready program. I love it. And um, so the way you get in touch with me is rtoft at crgpartners.com. And that's where we do executive search and boardroom ready uh, placement. Uh, Again, as mentioned, the books are available on Amazon and wecanrisecommunity.com. Please check it out, join our community, and we will keep you posted on all of the uh, developments that we have with respect to advancing women as quickly as we can. Uh, My next 10 years are advancing women. Um, to the highest levels within the organizations we serve.
0: It's amazing. And we'll we'll drop all of those links down in the episode notes. Thank you so much for joining us, Robin, today on our inaugural with by Wisecast episode. We really appreciate it.
2: So much fun. Thank yeah. you both.
0: Thank you.
1: Bye. Bye. On the next episode of Wisecast, we will be discussing urgency culture.
0: So hurry up and click on our donate link below. Just kidding. Thanks as always for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to check out thewisestwomen.com, subscribe to our channels and tell all of your friends, especially those who aren't listening, but should be. I am Dr. Richa Chandra. And I'm Dr. Amber Miller.